Good morning, Wilton Hills. I'm Greg Boyd, teaching pastor here at the church. It's always good to be sharing a kingdom moment with all of you uh, this morning. Uh, before I get into my message, I, I have a little uh, house talk to give some family business, if you will. If, you're, if you're, this is your home church, listen up to this. Uh, we, you may have noticed that we are uh, a little behind in our budget. In fact, quite a bit. We're 91,000 behind in our budget. It would have been much worse except that we had some really generous gifts come in in December. So thank God for that. But uh, if we don't close this gap by the end of this fiscal year, uh, it's going to have some negative impact on our, the ministries we can do. And we never want that to happen. And so we, uh, our, our, our thinking here is that this vision that we have, the things that we're trying to accomplish, that's, we're all in on this as if this is your home church. We carry this together. We own this together. And um, to a large degree, we stand or fall together. And, and our, our commitment is simply this. That when there's a need, a financial need, we just want to make it known uh, and ask people to pray about it and just respond. We just trust God. We'll talk to people and people will listen and, and the need will be met. We're actually kind of coming up with a campaign around this. We're going to call it Refresh because we're asking people to take a fresh look at, at your, your finances and, uh, uh, and, and just go to God. In fact, you should be doing this on a regular basis where you just acknowledge that everything you have belongs to God and, and then you're seeking his will about how much he would have you to hold on to for yourself and how much you're to invest in the kingdom. And so we ask people to do that. Take a fresh look at this uh, so that this need could be met. Um, the, th the thing is that, that, that 91000 seems like a whole lot of money, and it is. But if we had $3,800 more each week in the offering, we would meet that by, by uh, July, which is when the fiscal year ends up. And that may sound like a lot of money, because it is. But actually, if... if uh, Charlie figured this out. If 190 people just increase their giving for $20 for the next six months, we'd get this need met. So however that's going to work, we just put it out there. And we're also asking people to consider getting on a regular donation schedule where you can just arrange it where it comes off the top. You give it each month automatically online. And that's good for us because it helps us plan a lot more. If there's predictability in it, we're, we're just much better at scheduling things and planning things and budgeting things. But it's also good for you. Uh, if there's anything we learn about giving as a form of worship in the Bible, it's that, it's that we don't give God our leftovers, right? Um, it, it, we give God our first fruits. Uh, we seek first the kingdom of God, and that ought to be reflected in our, our, our financial discipline. And so if the kingdom's our highest priority, well, it ought to be reflected in our finances. We don't give God what's left over after all the important stuff. No, giving to God is important stuff. And so uh, consider uh, signing up for a schedule. Uh, if you want more information about that, you can go to the Hello Desk, uh, or if you just would rather just make a cash donation to, this, to, to the Refresh campaign, uh, you can do that. But the bottom line, as Toronto just said, is, you guys, I hope that you feel this is your spiritual body, whether you've been here for a long time or, or relatively new. But what we're doing is significant. And it feels like an honor, a privilege, to be part of something that is significant. It's significant in that, I mean, we, we have a distinct theological vision and an understanding of God's character. And, and, and uh, we're pre preaching good news in ways that are setting thousands of people free. And it's, it's significant. It's making a difference in people's lives. But even beyond the theology... Our conviction is that, that, that we're called not just to believe certain things, but we're called to live a certain way, individually and collectively. And so 
like all these ministries we have here. This is, we want to be making an impact in the community and demonstrating God's love to the community. So we partner with these, 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 these ministries where they bring their expertise here. We open up our space and then we partner with them. We, we, we volunteer, we, we have supplies and volunteers. And, and so there's no longer an us, them, they're part of us. And, and, uh, we don't ever want, I mean, this is really, it's making a difference. It's getting on people's radar screen. It's, it's having a splash, and uh, it's, it's going to get more and more, go more and more in that direction. And so we hate to have any of that significance compromised for financial reasons. So we just ask you to bring your finances before God, take a fresh look at them, and respond accordingly. Will you do that? Yeah. All right, thank you. Appreciate that. Now let's get to preaching. So we're in this series uh, when a, a priest and a physicist walk into the bar because we're talking, or all bar, because we're talking about the relationship between faith and science. Um, let's start with this reflection. There's a, and this is going to be science and the supernatural. Talk, we're going to look at uh, science and miracles and things like that. Here the Lord says, come now, let us reason. He's talking to the people of Israel. Let, let's reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. The Lord's saying, come on, let's think this through. Come on, let's reason together. And here what the Lord is saying is that, uh, look, at you guys think about this. Uh, if, yeah, you, you've screwed up a lot, but if you'll just return to me and walk in my ways, though your sins were like scarlet, they'll be whiter than snow. He's saying, it's in your best interest to follow my ways. Think about this. Be reasonable. And this is what we actually find God doing throughout the Bible. God reasons with us because we're made in God's image, and God is a thinking God, so he makes thinking people. Uh, we're to use our brain throughout the Bible. God encourages people to think and to question things and even to push back when things don't seem like they're making sense, like Abraham did when, when he heard about the announcement on the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, when let the judge of the earth do what is right. He's holding God to his own standard. And God doesn't get mad at him or frustrated or how dare you. No, God encourages this sort of thing. Think, ask questions. And uh, so we here at Wilderness Church just believe that a blind faith, where you just, you know, you don't have any reasons for it, you just choose to believe it, that that's not, a, that's not a biblical faith. Biblical faith is a thinking faith, a thoughtful faith, a faith that's willing to wrestle with stuff. And, 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 and so there's nothing virtuous about a blind faith, where you just believe something because someone told you it was true. Uh, you're just inheriting a belief from your environment, and if you were in a different environment, you'd inherit a different belief. But inherited beliefs don't go that deep, really, because you're not owning them. What you believe... At least about the important stuff, what you believe about God and Jesus and all that. Those things should be conclusions at the end of a reasoning process that you yourself have gone through. I thought through these things and I therefore choose to believe this, as opposed to all the other things you could be believing. That's when it really gets deep inside of you, when it becomes a real core conviction, because you've thought it through. And so we encourage people to think about your faith, question things. Uh, dig into things. We love questions around here. That's why we have a Q&A every, every couple of months. Um, Bring it on. Think outside the box. Uh, don't just because everyone thinks a certain way doesn't mean you have to think that way. We think th faith should be thoughtful. And this is important because studies show that young folks are leaving the church at an alarming rate, about 60%. And, and one of the main reasons is because they identify faith with stupidity. Uh, faith faith is, 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 isn't thoughtful at all. It's thoughtless. Um, it's not rational. It's not fact. It's not orientated towards facts. Uh, it's anti-science. And, 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 and so folks are just saying, I, they're not interested in that. And to us, that, that's just as tragic as it is unnecessary. 
Because what we're declaring in this series and what we stand for in general is that, that there is no contradiction between a biblical faith and critical thinking. There's no tension between a biblical faith and, and dealing with just with facts. There's no tension between having a biblical faith and asking questions or wrestling with doubt. No, that those, are, those are perfectly compatible. And, and so we encourage people to have a passionate faith, but also to have a worship God with your mind and be thinking about things and asking questions and investigating things. So today I want to look at this, this alleged conflict between being a rational and a scientifically minded person on the one hand and believing in miracles on the other. Uh, a common perception out there is that science has, has proven that everything operates according to the laws of physics. The laws of physics are inviolable. They can't be broken and therefore miracles can't happen. Uh, if you're a rational, let alone scientifically minded person, you won't be buying stories about miracles, the reports of miracles. All of them are, are, are false. They're either legendary or they're fabricated or, or someone just misinterpreted something. But according to science, this is this perception out there, uh, if, you, if, if you're really a hard-nosed scientist, you can't believe in the reality of miracles. And the question then is, I want to ask is, is that true? Is, is it the case that if you're really rational, you just know miracles don't happen, and therefore when you have a report of a, a miracle, whether it's in the New Testament or somewhere else, you just dismiss it? Because you know that that can't be, can't, can't be factual. It must be a legend or someone made it up. I'm going to argue, this may surprise you, but I'm going to argue against that. Uh, you can be logical, you can be scientific, you can be rational, and still believe in miracles, that miracles happen. And I'm going to offer you four arguments here uh, to that effect. All right? Four arguments uh, to show that uh, science is not, does not rule out miracles. Number one, I'll, I'll title this, The Map is Not the Territory. Uh, a map of Minnesota is not Minnesota, right? The map will tell you something about Minnesota, but it's not identical to the territory. Never confuse a map with the territory that the map is of. Uh, you can learn about where certain cities are, and maybe some streets are, and things like that from this map. Whatever the map's designed to tell you, it will tell you. But it won't tell you most things about Minnesota. You'll never know about the color of leaves in the fall from that map. You'll never know how cold it gets in January from that map. You'll never know anything about the political arena in Minnesota, or the culture in Minnesota, or the taxes in Minnesota, or most things about Minnesota you can't learn from a map. But you can learn some things, like where cities are located and how far things are from one another. That's all a map's supposed to do. I share that, because in, in psychology, they use this phrase, the map is not the territory. And it's usually used to help people remember that your perspective on something isn't the something that you have a perspective on. That, 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 there are people who think that their perspective is the territory. They can't possibly be wrong. They can't even conceive of looking at things a different way. And they can be challenging people to be friends with or to be married to. There's only one way to look at things, and that's your way. Your map is the territory. But the truth is, your map is not the territory. You have a perspective on things, but there are other perspectives you can have on things. There's other ways of looking at the world. There's other information to be had than what you're getting from your myopic, narrow perspective. Now, here's the thing. Science is a map. It's a, it's a method. It's not the territory. It's simply one map of the territory. And it's a map that has proven very effective. It's been very helpful. Uh, we arrived at this in the 16th, 17th century with the scientific revolution when folks decided to as a matter of principle, we're just going to look for natural explanations for natural events. And we want to see how far we can get, making sense out of the world, just by looking for the natural causes of natural facts, by breaking things down into their smallest analyzable parts, 
And then analyzing them in, ter in terms of a deterministic cause and effect. That's what science does. You analyze things, break it down to the smallest units. Uh, you know the laws of physics, and you try to figure out what, given this, how did this happen? That's, that's a scientific thing. It's a great map, but it's not the territory. It's not the only map. Uh, the scientific method, it says we, it, it's committed to never appealing to supernatural explanations because it's only looking for natural explanations. So you'll, it will never appeal to anything that science itself can't measure and test and break down. It will never appeal to God or to demons or to angels or even to like a human soul, a human agent, because you can't, you can't empirically test that. Those aren't, aren't scientific realities. But it doesn't mean that you can't believe that you have a soul or you can't believe in God or angels or demons. It's just that it's outside the parameters of science to weigh in on that. It's, it's in a different, this is a map. And so you can only go to this map to find what the map is designed to give you. Just like if, if you go to a map of Minnesota, uh, it's not going to tell you uh, what's the favorite ice cream in St. Paul. <laughs> You're going to for the wrong information. Uh, you, you can get the information out of it that's designed to give you, but no more. So also science will give us an insight into the world and helps us have technology and, and man, ma manipulate nature to our advantage. But it, it, it's not supposed to, it's not designed to give us the whole, everything there is to know about the world. It just gives us certain things. When people claim that the method, the scientific method, rules out miracles, what they're doing is they're confusing the map with the territory. They're taking the restrictions of the methodology. We will not appeal to the supernatural. And they're now imposing it on reality, as though the map was the territory. And so now it's not just that God and angels and demons and souls lie outside the, the purview of, of science. Now, since they lay outside the purview of science, they lie outside the scope of reality. They're unreal. And now you've given science the power to define reality itself. Your assumption is that whatever is real can be analyzed by our science. It can be broken down, it can be understood by being broken down into its smallest constituent parts and then analyzed in terms of cause and effect. Whatever is real can be analyzed that way. Uh, and folks, that is just illegitimate. It's a map, not the territory. To just declare that your map can encompass the entire territory is just, well, at the very least, it's arrogant. Here's a humbler attitude. It's by, uh, uh, he's a world-class scholar, world-class theologian, and a world-class neurophysicist. His name is John Pokinghorn. He's one of my favorite authors. I have never read anything this guy's ever written that, that hasn't been really interesting. His good stuff. He says this. Science achieves its success by the modesty of its ambitions. Science is a modest endeavor. It, 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 it's just saying, with this method, how far can we get in knowing the world? It's very modest. It's supposed to be anyways. It was never meant to be a worldview or to define all reality. And then he says, science trolls experience with a coarse grain net, like a fishing net. And many things of significance about the world in which we live slip between its wide meshes. So here, the scientific method is compared to a fishing net. A fishing net will catch whatever it's designed to catch, but whatever it's not designed to catch is going to pass right through it. So it is with science. Yes, it can give us uh, access to this slice of reality, but it can't do more than that. It will catch whatever it's designed to catch. And here's one truth that it's not designed to catch. Whatever else you find in your science net, you're not going to find this alleged truth, namely that the science net can encompass and explain everything. That's not, one of the, that, that's not a scientific piece of information that you could catch with a scientific method. This, this method can encompass everything. 
It's basically saying my map is the territory. We can understand everything. Uh, there's nothing that lies outside of my map. Whatever, whatever exists, I can, I can put on my map because I can understand it better by breaking it down and analyzing it according to its smallest parts and looking at it in terms of cause and effect. My ca map captures the whole territory. Everything that's real can be understood by being reduced down to its smallest parts. How do you know that? Think about this. How, you, you, that's, not a, that's not something that science can arrive at. That's not an empirical piece of information. That's not something you can understand by breaking it down to its smallest parts. You're making a metaphysical claim. My map covers it. If it's, if it's not on my map, well, then it doesn't exist. Oh, really? <laughs> Lucky you. How could you possibly know that? Because whether we're talking about the scientific map of the world, okay, that, that's a map of source, or our own cognitive limitations, this is another map of the world. Your map is not the territory. Your brain doesn't get all that's out there. Either way, uh, look at the only territory you know is the one that you have on your map. You don't have any mapless way of getting at the territory, at getting at reality. So you can't step outside of your map to assess how much of reality you are covering with your map. There's, you, you don't get that first, you're trapped in your map. You can't step out and analyze that. You, only God could do that. Unless I checked, you're not God. Um, and so, so, the only thing you really know is this. You don't know what you don't know, and what you don't know is how your map relates to the territory. Because the only territory you've got is on your map. I rest my case. <sighs> so it, it's to just decide, my, uh, this map covers everything, is just arrogant. It's just arrogant, and it's not scientific, which leads to my second argument. And this one is weird. It's the one I find most interesting. I don't ever call reading this from anyone, but it came to me this week, and, and I think it's valid, so I'm going to kind of test market with you guys. If, if you think it's not valid, correct me after the service, but I think it is. I think I can prove this, that if you believe in, if you hold to naturalistic evolution, just for the sake of argument, I mean, I hold that God used evolution to bring human beings. I don't believe in naturalistic evolution because that's that nature itself did all this. But my argument is this. If you do believe in natural evolution, it requires, it requires you to believe in what I'm calling transcendent realities. And by transcendent realities, I don't mean God or angels necessarily. I'm just referring to it requires us to believe that there are things that exist that aren't on our map and that we can't know about or conceive of but we can know that they exist. That's my argument. And if we know that these transcendent realities exist, the last thing we should ever be doing is saying that our scientific methodology can cover all of reality. I'm saying that evolution itself requires us to believe that there's more that's going on than what our maps can cover. All right? That, that's, so that's, that, that's where I'm going to go. Here's the argument. I mentioned last week that I'm smarter than my dog. Not by much, but a little bit. Uh, <laughs> Little Gracie's cute, but she's got a limited brain. And the physical limitations of her brain, or the physical limitations of her map, if you will, prevent her from knowing much about the territory. I've got a much higher evolved brain. I have abstract brain functions, and I can capture a whole lot more of the territory than Gracie can. Now, Gracie, I think, she thinks her map is the territory. Uh, she's not aware that there's any defectiveness in her map. But I, since I have a better map, I am able to see where her, her map falls short. Um, 
But the thing is this, so I, I can know trigonometry. She doesn't have a clue what trigonometry is. She doesn't, know, she doesn't know that there's a whole lot of neighborhoods in this world that are just like our neighborhood. This is just one of thousands. And she doesn't know that she's in the state of Minnesota or in the United States or on the planet Earth or part of a solar system or part of a galaxy or part of the universe. She's totally unaware of that. And, and she doesn't know two plus two is four. She doesn't know how planes fly. She, she, she doesn't know anything about great literature or, or great works of art or music. Or, she's totally oblivious to all that. In fact, most of what I experience as a human being is totally beyond her capacity to even imagine it. Think about that. It, it's, it's, it, it just never occurred to her. Her, her, her world is, is a very small world because her map's a small map. So I, let's just guess that I, 95% of what I know as a human being, she's incapable of knowing because of the physical limitations of her brain. Here's the thing, even though my brain is more complex, my map is more complex than Gracie's map, and I can cover more of the territory than she can, my brain is limited too, and so is yours. There's physical limitations. It's three and a half pounds, not four and a half pounds, and it's this level of complexity, but not more. So it forces this question. What is to me what trigonometry is to Gracie? There must be something there that is the equivalent of that's outside of my brain capacity to think. Or, or you can think about it like, like this. This is a little thought experiment. And, and a thought experiment is where you argue from, not because you believe something, but because you're trying to draw out the consequences if you did believe something. So uh, for the sake of this argument, let's assume that natural evolution is true. And let's assume that evolution will go on for another 100, or for another 95 million years at least. And that's... That's a pretty safe assumption. I mean, we might wipe ourselves off the planet, whatever. But, but they, if you believe in natural evolution, you believe this process goes on until a catastrophe ends it. And the most likely catastrophe is when the sun burns up, and then it's going to suck all the planets into itself, and that'll be the end of everything. But that's not going to happen for another five or six billion years. And, and, and 95 million years is a drop in a bucket when you're talking about six billion years. So this is a pretty safe assumption. Natural evolution is true, and we'll evolve for at least another 95 million years. So here's the thing. I learned this week that the difference between a human brain and a dog's brain is about 95 million years of evolution. It, it took 95 million years for the brain to evolve from the canine up to the human being. So it took 95 million years for the brain to evolve 95% capacity. That's why I had a 95 to keep the math simple. I actually think probably 99% of my reality is beyond uh, Gracie, but that makes harder math, and my brain isn't evolved enough to do that harder math, so I'm going to keep it simple. So in 95 million, million years, the brain evolved 95%, so 95% of what it knows now, it could not have known back then. Basically, the brain evolves 1% uh, in efficiency every million years. So in 95 million years, 95% capacity. Now, according to the pattern of evolution, which natural evolution predicts, uh, we should expect in another 95 million years, there'll be descendants of ours whose brains are as superior to ours as ours are to the dogs. Think about that. So it forces the question, if, if uh, my dog can think about food, I can think about trigonometry, but Gracie can't even begin to think about that. What will they be thinking about? <laughs> it's, like, it's like this. We manifest the fact that we've got a more efficient and higher intelligent brain than dogs by the fact that we know all sorts of things that dogs couldn't know. We, we know things about reality. Our, our map covers much more of the territory than a dog's does. Well, the descendants of ours 95 million years from now there has to be things, how will they manifest their superiority to us? 
we will be as dumb as dogs to them. And I'm just wondering, what will they be thinking? And I don't know what they could be thinking, because by definition, it's outside of my, 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 my toolbox. It's beyond my map. I, we can't conceive of what they're thinking or what they're knowing. But we, here's the thing. We can know that it has to be something. Because on the assumption that evolution will continue for another 95 million years, it's got to happen. These beings are going to evolve, and they'll be knowing something. And here's the thing. Whatever they will know in 95 million years, it's already real now. We just don't have the brains to access it or to conceive of it. Just like everything, the 95% of the world that I know that Gracie doesn't know, by 95% superior efficiency, everything I know was already real 95 million years ago. I didn't invent the reality I now know. I discovered it because I have a, a more complex brain. But it was real back then. So the question is, what will they know that's real now, but we can't know it now because our brains aren't complex enough to fathom it? I, I can't imagine what it is, but I have to believe it's real. So folks, if you hold to natural evolution and, think that, and, and assume it will go on for another 95 million years, the last thing you should ever be saying is, we here in the 21st century, we, we have a map that can define all of reality. That's like Gracie, my dog, thinking that her dog map can define all of reality when she doesn't even know trigonometry, for crying out loud. You don't know what you don't know, but we do know that we don't know it, but we should know that it exists. All around us, there are transcendent realities that um, we should just assume this, that 95 million years from now, they'll, 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 they'll know it, but we can't. And so it ought to keep us humble. Believing in natural evolution ought to keep us humble at knowing that the only way around this, and it's a bad way, but if you want to avoid this conclusion that transcendents are real, if you say there are no more transcendents, then you're saying that the gap between the dog's brain and the human brain, that 95 million years of evolution, it will never be repeated again. There are, there's, none, there's nothing like trigonometry out there that we can't conceive of. We can conceive of everything. Which is to say, you have to assume that the evolution of the brain stops with us. We have arrived. Uh, yeah, yeah. Once you get to our level, there's nowhere up. And see, that is arbitrary. Uh, this has been going on for 200, or actually 400 million years, and all of a sudden it comes to a stop with us? And frankly, if this is the brain that peaks the whole evolutionary process, I'm quite disappointed with evolution. <laughs> but just as a matter of fact, as a, we know that we have not arrived, because we, the more we know, actually, the more we know we don't know. The more we know, the more we know we don't know. And there's stuff out there we can't, we know that. So of course, there's more space for the brain to evolve in, which means there has got to be transcendent realities that uh, we don't have a clue about. Uh, and whatever else it does for us, it ought to make us more humble uh, when it comes to saying our map covers the whole territory. We've got a dog's map from the perspective of our ancestors 195 million years from now. All right, that's the argument from evolution. Uh, anything more to say about that? Nope. Here's the third argument. Rumor of angels. This was a book uh, written by Peter Berger. Uh, this is the title of his book. And, and he was referring to this. He's a... He was arguing in this book that even though we live in a secular society, there are hints of transcendence, rumors of angels, the supernatural, and that hasn't totally left us. And I'm kind of arguing along those lines, although this is not the argument that he gives in that book. But here's the thing. If, unless you've already been indoctrinated into thinking that everything can be understood through the scientific method, everything can be understood by being broken down to its smallest parts and analyzed in terms of cause and effect, unless you've been indoctrinated with that, 
then you know, you know that you encounter things all the time that science can't explain. Things that can't be adequately understood by being broken down to their smallest parts and analyzed in terms of cause and effect. So last week, I mentioned one of them, and that's the fact that you, you know you exist. It's the most fundamental fact of your existence is that you know you exist. You're an agent here, and you're aware that you're sitting in this place. Now, you could be deceived about where you're sitting. Maybe there's a hallucination, but you can't be deceived by the fact that you exist. And you're aware that um, you don't just exist as a passive agent. You're not just watching yourself go through life. You are an agent. You're a decision maker. In fact, you're making decisions all the time. Right now, you're, you're, you're thinking... You're making decisions about how you're going to respond to this. What, what, what do you think of this? Is, what, 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 what is he talking about? You, you, you're choosing how you think in response to what I'm presenting up here. We're aware that there are possibilities that we turn into actualities. And finally, you're aware that, that you trust reason. You, you trust reason. Because um, it makes sense to trust reason. <laughs> There's really no option but to trust reason, reason. Right now, you're thinking logical thoughts, and you're trusting your brain to do that. Now, here's the thing. Scientific method can't quite uh, get us, itself around this because it says that when you, when you take the brain and you, you break it down into its smallest analyzable parts and analyze it in terms of cause and effect, what you find? Well, the dominant theory out there now is that, that consciousness is, is, is an epiphenomenal illusion. It's a side effect of something else going on, and what else is going on are chemicals popping in your brain. And, and it, it produces this illusion. You think you're an agent. You, you, you think you're in, you're in a driver's seat of your life, that you're making choices, but actually, the whole process is determined. Everything's determined. And so the idea that you have free will is just an illusion. And that, 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 that you're a causative agent, that's, that's, that, that's an illusion. But I submit to you, this can't be an illusion because this is an unquestionable fact. This is what needs to be explained, and you don't explain it by dismissing it, saying it's, it's, it's not real. And then there's this problem. If everything is chemicals popping in your brain, nothing but chemicals popping in your brain, then the statement right now that I'm making that everything is chemicals popping in your brain is itself simply a manifestation of chemicals popping in my brain. And the trouble with that is that chemicals popping, firing on one another, don't have any truth value, regardless of how complex they are. As I said last week, a chemical reaction is like a burp or a flatulent or a thunderclap or, or it's a pop or it's a fizz, it's a bang, but there's no truth in it. It says, you don't say, if someone burps, you don't go, I disagree. <laughs> There's no truth value there. And so if, if, if nothing has truth value, then the statement, nothing has truth value, has no truth value. And so it's a self-refuting thing. So science can't get its grip around how we can be self-conscious, rational, free agents. And yet it's the most fundamental datum of our, of, of our experience. And see, I, I submit to you, it shouldn't surprise us that you can't explain free will and consciousness and rationality uh, through the scientific method because I just gave you a whole bunch of good reasons to believe that we're surrounded by transcendent realities all over the place that science can't get its brain around. It shouldn't surprise us. This is a slice of the world that passes through the net of science. You know, you know, if, if, unless you've been indoctrinated, you know that when, when, when you're in love with somebody, that's not just chemicals popping in your brain. Especially, I mean, if it's romantic love, if, yeah, there's chemicals, uh, they're nice. But uh, it, it's not reducible to that. Especially when you, you, you love somebody just out of a commitment, when you're loving your enemies. That's not just poppings, it's chemical poppings in your brain. There's a reality to love, a, a truth to love. And, and we know this if we haven't been brainwashed to think otherwise. And, and you know that when you experience beauty, 
um, beauty of a sunset or a painting or a musical piece or poetry or, or the beauty of hugging somebody that you love very dearly, you know you're, t you're tapping into a reality there, this reality of beauty. Um, or courage or nobility or all of those virtues. Those are not just chemical poppings in the brain. And the only reason people say that they're chemical poppings in the brain is because their method won't allow them to say anything else. They can't say, oh yeah, you're a soul, because that's outside the scientific purview. They can't say that you're an agent that can produce its own causes. That doesn't make any sense in the scientific realm. But I submit to you, it's a fundamental data of our experience. And that's enough to refute the idea that the scientific method can capture all of reality. It can't. All sorts of things exist that don't fit into that scientific worldview. Joy of a mother holding her newborn baby. Uh, no, it's, it's, it, there's a truth there. So science, the, the scientific method is wonderful. It's given us all of this great technology, but it doesn't cover everything. The yearning inside most people's hearts, that yearning for, for a meaning and a purpose that goes beyond what this world can offer. Science, the scientific method can't explain that. Um, where, where did that come from? How does nature evolve beings that are dissatisfied with nature? How, how does that work? Um, scientific method can't explain the singularity of the Big Bang. Um, can't explain a whole lot of stuff, because a whole lot of stuff can't be understood by being reduced down to its smallest parts. It just goes outside of that. And finally, the scientific method can't explain this. How is it that, as a matter of fact, people do experience the miraculous? Uh, the science that's supposed to rule out uh, miracles, well, as a matter of fact, Miracles sometimes happen, and that's my fourth argument. People experience the supernatural. What you find is this, that, that, that uh, all throughout history, you have people who have, we have these credible reports of eyewitnesses, sometimes multiple eyewitnesses, who report on something happening that defies a natural explanation. Now, it's fine for science to keep on looking for a natural explanation. Great. But... We're not just scientists, we're, we're, we're people who want to explain everything. And, and so if a natural explanation doesn't satisfy, it makes sense to say, well, since we know that there are transcendent realities all around us that we don't know about and won't know about for another 95 million years, it makes sense to being open and saying, well, maybe there's something else that we don't know about that could have explained this. We have credible reports like that all the time. I'll give you one example. The fact that you came here this morning leads me to believe that I have a little bit of credibility with you. I, I have some credibility with you. I, I don't know how much, but I don't think you would have come here if you thought I was a pathological liar and I was psychologically imbalanced and confused reality with fantasy all the time. I don't think you should be here sermon from a guy like that. So I have a little bit of credibility. So I want to cash in on that right now. <laughs> Whatever I got, I'm going to take. Uh, and, and tell you this story. Uh, in 1991, I was uh, teaching at this Christian camp. At the end of the camp, the last day of the camp, there's a young lady there who started manifesting demons. Uh, and I and about five, six other people spent about six hours casting four demons out of this young lady. Uh, and, uh, it's the first time I've ever had, had anything quite like this experience. In the middle of this whole thing, at one point, um, this young lady, she was on the floor growling, and she, it was just all sorts of weird stuff. But at one point, she's reached over. I didn't know if she was, even know I was there, praying. She grabs me by the collar and then pulls me to her face, nose to nose, while she's growling. Um, first thing I notice is that she's so strong. Because I'm in my early 30s here, and back then I was kind of buff. I lifted weights. I was strong, and I, she was manhandling me. I, I was like, I could not get away. Then she opens up her eyes. They've been closed at this point. She opens up her eyes. The eyes, they, they look dead. But then she's staring at me eye to eye, three inches away. 
So I got a good, pretty good perspective on this thing. And while the right eye continues to stare at me, her left eye three times rotates counterclockwise. Then she lets out this roaring laughter and throws me about 10 feet towards this wall. Put that in your naturalistic pipe and smoke it. <laughs> wait, 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 what do you do with that? What do you do with that? Because uh, I don't think that I can move like that. I, I just think it's physiologically impossible for anyone to do that. And so here's the thing. I don't have a natural explanation for this. I can't conceive of how you'd explain this naturalistically. You can only get so far with parapsychology, maybe, mind over matter, whatever, but uh, this, is push, put, this is pushing it. And since I know that there are transcendent realities all around that, I, my, that are outside of my map, I can, I'm incapable of conceiving of them, I'm going to be open to other explanations. And one presents itself. Because I, I've got good reasons to think that Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, all these historical reasons, philosophical reasons, there's books out there to tell you about that if you want to know what those reasons are. I've got good reasons to trust that, that, that this is God incarnate, and therefore, I've got good reason to trust that what he says is true. And in his ministry, he dealt with stuff like this all the time, and he believed that demons were real, and sometimes they get inside of people, and, and when you get them out, it sometimes looks like this. And since I've got reason to think he's right, there's my explanation. Sometimes believing in miracles is the rational thing to do. I think it's the height of irrationality to, to when there's witnesses, when there's experiences like this, to say, oh, well, if somehow if you break it down to the smallest constituent parts and analyze it in terms of cause and effect, you can explain everything. No, some things are beyond your ability to, to explain. And we have this throughout all history. A friend of mine wrote a book called uh, uh, Miracles. His name's Craig Keener. It's a really good book. This guy, he, he, he's the most, he, he writes these giant books. Well, once a year comes out, well, I don't know how he does it. Great guy. What he does, he's a historian, critical historian, New Testament scholar, and he analyzes, uh, all, first, first in volume one, he analyzes all the biblical miracles, especially the resurrection. And he makes the case, and it's very strong, that we've got compelling reasons to believe that these reports are accurate, that the people are telling the truth, that they're, they're credible, in other words. And then he traces it throughout history, and, and it shows that throughout history, we've got all these instances of multiple people claiming to have witnessed something that can't be explained in natural ways. The fact that people have these experiences shows that, in fact, apparently the scientific method does not rule out miracles. And here's one final thing that's happening that I think is interesting. Um, actually, this whole idea that science rules out miracles is, I don't know if it's going to continue, but it's starting to lose its credibility, thank God. Uh, it's more of a modernist mindset than it is a postmodern mindset. Now, here, here's what I mean by that. Uh, we, we're, we're living in a time where people are beginning to question that humans can know any kind of truth. Uh, and that we're, they're, people are, are, are claiming that every worldview is a social construct, which to a certain degree is true. Every, it, we, we have maps, we don't have the territory. And, and what, what's being said in postmodernism is that all maps are equal. Since none of us can get to a territory outside the maps, all maps are equal. So what's happened in, in academic circles is this. Uh, among some anthropologists, ethnographers, people who study cultures, they've come to the conclusion that it's illegitimate for Western scholars to take their Western anti-supernaturalistic map and now try to translate other people's experience into our categories. If you want to understand a people group, get inside of an ethnicity, you've got to understand from the inside, which means you have to adopt their map. So these scholars are trying to take off their Western map with all of our assumptions, including the assumption that miracles can't happen, and you try to enter into the worldview of the people that you're studying. And what's happening is that as scholars have been doing this more and more over the last 30 years, they're reporting back that 
we're wrong. The Western map does a lot of good things, but it, it prevents us from seeing certain realities like spirits and miracles and supernatural stuff. And they're reporting this stuff in academic journals. One of the most famous and one of the earliest was by a lady named Edith Turner. Now, Edith uh, and her husband were studying this one tribe of people, and they, um, at first, were doing it from a normal, from the normal, from the old Western perspective, where you know, these people would talk about spirits and stuff, but they, 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 Edith and her husband didn't believe in any of this. They, they just would translate it into Western categories. Her husband died, and Edith decided to go back to this tribe, but now she went, she went native. She decided to join the tribe, become an insider. So she, as much as possible, put off her Western map and took on the map of this tribe, and it opened her eyes to all sorts of stuff. She wrote an article in, a, in an academic journal called The Spirits Are Real. And it's like, you guys, your map, your naturalistic scientific map is preventing you from seeing stuff that's out here that's real. She tells a story, bizarre story, uh, that I don't have time to explain to you here right now, but, but it's, it's basically this. In this tribe, the religion centered around a tooth, a tooth of an ancient warrior, a heroic tooth. And, and if you took good care of the tooth, and the tooth was happy, then things would go well with the tribe. They'd have plenty of food, hunting would be successful, people would get along, and there wouldn't be much sickness. But if that tooth ever gets ticked off, well, then, then you'll find that the hunting dries up and people start arguing with one another and people get sick. Well, that started to happen in this tribe. For some reason, they never knew why, but the, the, tr the tooth was ticked off. And, and so the, the, the shaman, the high priest in this tribe, uh, he's the one who's in charge of the tooth. Um, he announces that the tooth is angry. And, and what always happens eventually is that somebody ends up manifesting like a, a demons. And that's where the Yamba tooth is. I tell you, this story is really, it's really bizarre. But hey, the world's a strange place. So Edith tells us, and a girl starts manifesting like demons, and that's one of the things that's a standard thing around all these different cultures when it comes to exorcisms is that they report the same kind of thing, which itself kind of confirms that there's something real going on here. Um, so this tribe then, there's a ritual. They dance around this, 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 this girl, and they're beating drums and, and calling out to the gods or whatever. And she says at one point, here's a quote. This lady says, I suddenly saw with my own eyes a large gray blob of something like plasma emerge from the sick woman's back. Then I knew that the Africans were right. There is spiritual stuff. There is spirit affliction. It isn't a matter of metaphor and symbol or even psychology. And she says that this plasma stuff, she didn't know what it was, this black thing, it, it, it came out of her back and floated in the air. And so the shaman got the blob and put it in the sacred box and then pulls out the yamba tooth. I don't know why it's called yamba tooth, but that's the name of it. And then they reconsecrated themselves to the yamba tooth and things started going well and people were no longer sick and they started getting food. The spirits are real. Now, that, that's a bizarre story. We'd have to do some theologizing around it, what, what all is going on there, some demonic stuff and whatever. But the point is that miracles, supernatural stuff are being reported all over the place. Science does not rule this out at all. As long as you remember that science is a map, and it's not the territory, there's absolutely no tension whatsoever between uh, believing in miracles on the one hand, if you've got reasons to, and, 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 and being a person of faith, or, or uh, the scientific method on the other. I'll, I'll end with this. There, this isn't just a theoretical thing, because what you believe about miracles will depend on how you respond to that. Like, like if you're not open to the possibility of miracles, you're not going to be praying for miracles, so the chances that you're ever going to experience a miracle are pretty thin. And the thing is, is that the faith of the New Testament is, like it or not, it's a faith that has a supernatural component to it. 
I mean, Jesus said that we're going to be doing greater works than he did. He talked about praying for the sick and the sick will be made well. Uh, there's, there's a supernatural dimension to the kingdom movement that we need to be accessing that's supposed to be part of our normal, right? If we don't believe in the possibility of miracles, we're not going to be pressing in on that. And we're not going to be seeing much of that. But I want to see more of that. Amen? And, and you find that when you press in on that, God shows up. People do experience the supernatural. And we're supposed to. I'm not the only one here that can say that. I've seen people, maybe you yourself have been healed from the sick. How many of you here have ever been healed of anything? Any kind of affliction? Any kind of ailment? Any kind of a disease? All right. God's a healing God. How many have been delivered from things like drugs or alcohol or any kind of sexual bondage? Have been set free? How many people have experienced God giving them problems in their life? And, and you act on those things and bam, it becomes obvious that this was a God ordained thing. You ever listen to God and his little promptings and seen that happen? God shows up, but we've got to be a people who believe. I love thinking logically. I love thinking scientifically, but even more, I love to see people set free supernaturally. I love to see God move in miraculous ways. I, I, I really love and respect the laws of nature. Hallelujah. But I don't believe for a second that everything is governed by those laws. I like it when God comes in and does some special things now and then. And, uh, and we see God move, and the kingdom is manifested. Don't tell me that there is not a miracle-working God. I, for one, know that he is real. Amen? Amen. 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 Would you stand? I'd like to ask the prayer teams to come up here. And if you are here, since we do believe that God moves. And by the way, if someone might have this question, well, look at how come some people get healed and some people don't? Is God arbitrary? And if that's a question you have, I would just recommend my book, Is God to Blame? It's all designed to answer that kind of question. So you don't have to play with that. Um, and if you're here this morning and, and are not a committed follower of Jesus, I'd invite you to come forward here and talk to these folks. They'd love to explain to you what is involved in surrendering your life to Christ and begin to walk with him. So as we leave this place, can we do it as a people who are committed to thinking, really thinking through what, what you believe, know why you believe what you believe, be prepared to give an answer for the faith that you have within you, uh, and yet committed, uh, people who are committed to praying, to see God manifest his character and his will, his supernatural power in our midst. If you're in agreement with that, say amen and go out and love on your neighbor. God bless.